Hi, I'm Isa Kwonga. And I'm Ryan Hun. And we co-host Stadio, a football podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network. If you like soccer or football, make sure you search for Stadio, a football podcast on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of the Ringer F1 show is brought to you by eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts from superchargers and brakes to exhaust kits and beyond, eBay Motors levels your baby up to its peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride or your money back. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Armorall. When you want the best for your car, preparation is everything. That's why teams like Oracle Red Bull Racing use Armorall to prep their team vehicles. From interior cleaning and protectant wipes to car wash and wheel and tire cleaner, Armorall, America's number one trusted auto appearance brand, has what it takes to keep the two-time defending champions looking their best inside and out. And get this, now through May 31st, you can get $5 back when you spend $20 prepping your car like the Oracle Red Bull Racing Team. All you have to do is upload your receipt to Armorall's website after you buy. Visit armorall.com for program details and redemption. Terms apply. Armorall chosen by champions. It is the Ring Rap One Show, part of the Ring Podcast Network. I am Kevin Clark. Join for the end of the year spectacular. It is December 29th. There's just a few days left to recap Formula One in 2022. It's Jessica Spatana from Meadowlark. Jessica, what's going on? Uh, are we doing like a snake draft style thing here? I, I need a format uh, update before we we're start. Just we're just claiming them. We're just we're just throwing them out there. However, okay. I will say this: Megan Schuster is here too. Hello, Megan. Hi. So we're doing the most important things in 2022, and you had one that you claimed yesterday, and I don't want to step on it yet. But then I, I said, oh, by the way, Meg Jessica's already claimed this particular event in 2022, and I might as well have told her like someone hacked into her bank account and drained all of her funds. Like that was it, the it was It was some really tough news to hear. I'm not going to Okay. Lie. But well, that, that doesn't seem fair then. I feel like we should have done no, a draft you can order. Co- we can collab. We can collab no, I, on I the think events. Yeah. I, th- I think it'll be good. I think it'll be good. Okay. Um, I do, by the way, uh, Jessica, you're a, uh, a Notre Dame football fan. Uh, I do want to point out that it's totally obvious that they tampered with Sam Hartman. I don't know what you're talking about. First of all, how do you tamper with players that don't even have a contract, an employment contract? Am I right? Well, easily. Easily. This is Notre Dame did. I don't know what you mean. Okay. I just I think it's amazing. I was starting to go through the other day. I do think it's amazing he was able to just like research campus life and his majors in like an hour before in the portal. He got in, started Googling what Notre Dame was, and then committed. It was great. You know what? A lot of players in the portal do it. I think it's the magic yeah. of the internet. Yeah, and Notre Dame. And Notre Dame, just people just want to, people just want to, want to be in Indiana. Hey, um, I'm right, excited to watch the Miami bowl game, by the way, this weekend. Oh, wait. They, yeah, we have a bowl game. It's tomorrow. It's called the Under Armour All-American Bowl, and it's where the best <laughs> high school recruits in the country are going to play, and that's where we're playing this weekend. Okay. Um, all right, Thanks, let's Mario. get to the most important things that happened in 2022. This doesn't have to be like, oh, the Belgian Grand Prix, there was a great pass. It can be the things that we think uh, are going to matter the most going forward, the things that matter the most um, to the rest of the season, things that we don't, we didn't even think about that need to be on our radar, all radar, all of that stuff. I'm excited to do it. Jessica, you have the floor. Okay, well, I feel like I should 
do my pick that I've already called dibs on now, even though it's going to make me sound so silly. This is the first time I've ever been on this podcast, by the way. Actually, no, it's not because I was on in Miami when we did like the first time. Is that true? You were on the Saudi Arabia recap. I don't remember that. What the hell is going on with your memory? I don't remember anything. Oh, yeah, you're right. Okay, sorry. I have a (laughs) see. This is my problem with Formula One, which I was going to say right off the bat. The minute. Abu Dhabi ended. Yes. I stopped thinking about Formula One for a solid month because it was like the middle of, well, I guess the end of the college football season and middle of the NFL season. And I had to really quickly switch, like change gears, figure out what I had missed from September and October of of football. So I had to really like re-immerse myself in what happened this season. Some things that happened this season, I was like, oh, I thought that happened last year. Some things happened that I'm like, that feels like it was yesterday. But I wanted to start with this topic because obviously Megan is super into it. Kevin, you, you liked it. You liked it as a topic. It makes me sound very silly because it's not racing related (laughs) at all. But for me, the top moment of 2022 was Valtteri Botas, which was when he posted the picture on Instagram in Aspen of his little butt. And it got like a half a million likes. And then he auctioned it off for charity and he raised like 50,000 euros for charity and didn't understand why, but it was a hilarious moment. He ended up giving a signed autograph copy to Lewis Hamilton in Monaco. That was my favorite moment of 2022. It was one of my favorite moments too. And Meg, you have a t-shirt with the logo I, on I it. I was so. just going to say, yeah. I oh, wore it. She's wearing, wearing it. She's wearing it. Just for this occasion, because I knew we'd be talking about it today. I had to. I I think that it speaks to a larger thing that's happened. And maybe this was always the case. But in social media, the social media age, uh, which is I just read a piece in the Atlantic that the social media age is ending. So mark that on your calendars. But in the social media age, um, (laughs) like the off track stuff is as important as the on track stuff. And Botas, in in some ways, the way he uh, lived his best life this year. The way he was yeah. in doing gravel races like in Kansas and and yeah. Australia and having an amazing time, like I feel like he went to a obviously he went to a worse team um, from Mercedes, but it feels like he he kind of won off the track, Meg. Yeah, he really got out from kind of like the, you know, serious, very like German nature of the Mercedes team where, you know, it, yeah. it's all about production, performance. We're very focused all the time. We're Curl always, next. always, yeah, always pushing ahead. And he got to just like hang out and be a cool dude, which I, I mean, I think he already was. We saw that, you know, with his Netflix stuff in the past few years when he was like in a sauna nude with his trainer or whoever. But, We've seen his ass before. We need to point oh, that yeah, out. Oh, yeah. It was not no, the first time. Nobody this was, was like, look at his time. ass. Look at his ass. But, That's the first time I've seen the ass. No, it wasn't yeah. like that. But I like he never would have like posted something like this, I feel like, when he was with Mercedes. And, and for that reason, we are all better off for him being with Alfa Romeo. I agree with you. It was a real vibe shift to quote another Atlantic article, I think, from a few months ago. <laughs> that, was New York, that was New York Mag, I think. Dang it. I was cl- uh, close enough. Um, it was, though. And he he really did seem to live his best off the track life. I promise I have actual like Formula One topics on my sheet, but I had to get that out of the way first. I have a question. Is there anybody you guys want to see transition into the Botas role where they're just like not really competing at the highest level anymore, but they're just going to have an amazing time 
on the grid. Cause I feel like Danny Rick did it a little bit, but he was also kind of doing it at red, red bull as well. Like, I feel like he transitioned to that role and all of a sudden he's got a horse. All of a sudden he's, you know, doing great. He's wearing a Texas basketball jersey around. He's, he doesn't, he doesn't wear a shirt for years at a time. Um, is there anybody <laughs> like, I kind of feel like there's a handful of, like, I, I feel like in five years, we're going to get an amazing season from Carlos Sainz. Just an amazing season. Just like I got, I, you know, I'm done with Ferrari. I'm just going to just kind of go crazy. And here's, here's my ass in a river. At first, I thought you were going to ask whose like ass we would like to see most no. next, and and this was like <laughs> that's a different. Question. I was I was it's like a we're really podcast. taking a turn here on this on this podcast. <laughs> um, that's a good question. I kind of feel like we might get a little bit of that from Fernando Alonso this year, being in Aston oh, Martin. Gosh. Not that he wasn't yes. already yeah, doing yeah, yeah. that to a certain extent, but I feel like this year he might just really let it fly, and I would be very excited to see that. Um. I I, I, I could else. I could use I could use like a I, I mean, even though we kind of had that this year, uh, but it was a completely different bucket. I could use like a I can't win the championship version of Lewis Hamilton, like just coming yeah. in. He's probably going to talk more shit. He's probably going to have he a did little a little bit of that this year. Yeah, he did. He a did. L- I think once he did, um, but that was mostly about his own car. Um, and so <laughs> I think that there's. I, I think there's probably a higher ceiling for 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 Lewis um, than anybody. I want to say with Fernando Alonso, not to be windhorse here. So I I'm a big I'm a big uh, reader of sports books. Thank you, Jessica for pointing. Um, I'm a big reader of sports books, and I saw I saw that Fernando Alonso had a book coming out. It was supposed oh. to be this. It was supposed to be this fall. Okay, I saw it on Audible and Amazon. It was supposed to be this fall, and I marked it down, put it in my wish list, and then the other day. I saw that it had been delayed until 2025, which hmm. leads me to believe that he's going to write a book at the end of his Formula One career, because he obviously resigned, that is probably going to be Maximum Fernando Alonso. That, that's my, I think, like, the fact that that was pushed back three years to mark probably when he's done with Formula One, at the very least, maybe they'll move it up, shows me that he's got a, he's got a shit-talking book in him. That's interesting. I think, yeah, maybe he was planning on retiring until the Aston Martin deal came through and he couldn't turn it down and, and had to call his publisher <laughs> and say, now he can't write his shit. Stop the press. <laughs> yeah. Stop the press. I think the Carlos Sainz thought is a good one. So he just signed the contract extension with Ferrari through 2024. Yes. So say he doesn't stick with Ferrari after that. They, you know, he decides he wants to be the number one driver on a smaller team, like a midfield team and goes to like, you know, Aston Martin or Alpine or something like that then I think he will be the guy. Because I think the criteria is they have to be someone sort of young, someone who's yep. like a social media user, and also someone who is getting a weight taken off their back from moving down a level car-wise. And that's kind of what Valtteri did this season. And that's why I think he feels comfortable just like growing a mustache, wearing bucket hats, being naked, bike sure. riding everywhere, and posting pictures of his butt on Instagram. One wild card here, if Checo gets burned by Max Verstappen mm-hmm. and he sticks around if. F1 for a couple of years. If, yeah, I'm just, it's, I'm going to, I'm going to get to that. <laughs> if it happened, if it happened, here's how we did it. Um, but I just, just, just something to watch. Uh, Meg, most important thing. Number one. Um, my number one is, and I'm lumping, I'm lumping these together cause they happen in the same week. So I think I can claim them both Okay, is the Fernando Alonso, Oscar Piastri, Alpine drama. Yes. That's a good one. Um, like my, maybe one of my favorite sports weeks of the entire year. Um, so I'll just briefly recap in case anyone's Please. forgotten. So Fernando, right before summer break, 
shocks the world, or at least everyone in Alpine, by announcing that he's going to Aston Martin without telling, apparently, anyone at Alpine. Um, he leaves for summer break. Otmar gives this crazy interview where he's like, Fernando basically won't answer my phone calls. I'm pretty sure he's in the Greek islands. All the while, Fernando is like on Instagram posting, you know, thirst traps from Spain and like enjoying his, you know, whole vacation. It's incredible. But whatever. So Alpine is like, cool, that's fine. Is what it is. We have Oscar Piastri waiting in the wings, who we've been needing to get an F1 seat anyway, only to release that information that he'll be driving for them in 2023. And then like three hours later, he posts this incredible tweet that I would like to read in full that says, I understand that without my agreement, Alpine F1 have put out a press release late this afternoon that I'm driving for them next year. This is wrong, and I have not signed a contract with Alpine for 2023. I will not be driving for Alpine next year. So, like, not only did they lose Fernando Alonso, they lose Oscar Piastri eventually to McLaren, and it was just the most embarrassing week that I can remember for, like, a sports organization, like, non-criminal or not like, very, very, <laughs> not very, very bad. Like, like just like a straight, like on track thing, embarrassing thing. It was amazing. It was really special stuff. It was really special stuff. And I, if I may peek behind the curtain, it was that reaction to that was the most listened to episode we had this year. Like that was, there was a, <laughs> wow. there was just an absolute appetite to hear that breakdown. Um, Jessica, how did you process that week? I mean, through the memes, obviously, it felt like every brand was jumping on that and like making a copy pasta out of uh, mm-hmm. his tweet. And mm-hmm. and I feel I think I might have even posted one like it was just an incredible <laughs> week. And with all the other things going on in the background, too, like with seats opening up and then there was questions about Ricardo that we still didn't have answers yeah. to. It was really incredible. And th- the fact that it was your most listened to episode, I think, really speaks volumes about like the appetite for yes. Formula One fans to just it, like absorb all of this mess, all of this messiness, yes. pettiness. I think this the case of of this contract ultimately went to like the governing body courts, right? I mm-hmm. mean, that just is something that's so funny to me because, um, yeah, I, basically Fernando Alonso decided like I'm going to be a little sneak and then I'm going to leave, and you guys are kind of shit out of luck. I think it's in- interesting that a couple weeks before that, Nate Saunders was on the show. And I, we did, we kind of ran through the 2022 grid, 2023 grid. And we're like, Hey, you know, what seats will be open top, top of the, uh, of the grid looks pretty full, et cetera, et cetera. And we both kind of agreed it was going to be a boring year. Like it wasn't, there wasn't going to be a huge shakeup. There wasn't going to be some huge seat that comes up and we're like, ah, we're just going to limp to the finish line. Maybe Williams will have some changes, but like everything's going to be fine. And then Fernando Alonso was such a chaos agent. He changed everything about it. And like to get that and we're getting statements and we're getting high court rulings. Like it was beautiful. I, I never want, I mean, everybody played their roles perfectly. Everybody. Like, for, I never need Fernando Alonso to leave the sport, stay forever. Like, he should be a team principal afterwards. Like, he just <laughs> needs to be around. Um, I'm excited to see him. And I really do think that part of this is, like, Piastri is really good. And he's he's quite a prospect. And I think that that, in a weird way, it was a very strange uh, entrance for him into Formula One because he's going to be the meme guy until basically he wins wins a race, um, which might be this year. I mean, he's very very good. Um, I think he's going to be an awesome teammate to Lando Norris. I think that he's that, that McLaren is making progress. Like I do think that some of this overshadowed that that Oscar Piastri is actually worth all of this drama. Yeah, I I agree. And 
just like the the sheer like domino effect of all of this, I think is what made it such a lasting thing in my brain because not only was it funny for a week, but it impacted like an Aston Martin seat, a McLaren seat, you know, Pierre Gasly is now at Alpine. Um, Nick DeVries got called up to Alpha Tower. Like there's just so much drama that happened because of this, that it, it's just like, it's going to have ramifications for years and yeah, yeah, just very, very impressive. Even the Nick DeVries stuff, the Nick DeVries stuff obviously was different because it was it was a COVID replacement. But like I, we Bauman and I saw him at Miami, and I remember thinking like, "Oh man, his his time has passed." You know, like you had such a small window to get into a Formula right. One car. Nick DeVries is very good at other levels of the sport, and I remember looking at him and just being like, "Man, that this is." I mean, it's pretty cool to be in the paddock at Miami and be a reserve driver, and make a lot of money, and then go race Formula E, whatever, um, get an Indy car if you wanted to, et cetera, et cetera. And like the dominoes that fell, and then get him into a seat. It's really, it was really incredible. Um, all right, I'm gonna do my number one. And again, like Jessica, I'm going to start off with an off-track thing. Um, well, I guess it's on track and then get into the serious stuff. But I really do think, and I've, I've, I've gone back and forth on this. I've waffled and flip-flopped. Over the weekend, Logan Sargent was at the Dolphins game. And <laughs> he had his little Dolphins helmet. And he's from Fort Lauderdale. We haven't figured out if he's a cane yet, um, Jessica, but I'm sure he is. I think he's a winner, and, so probably not. And, and so... <laughs> So I I can't wait for the Miami pat like the scrum in Miami at the Williams paddock where I'm just like uh, Logan are you are you Kane and then a bunch of the Italian media are like what the fuck is this guy that's on um, Cristobal's recruiting class <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah um so I really do think it's 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 quite important that he's getting a seat in F1 in this era and we've had like I've gone I've said this a million times in this podcast like I think that the some of the achievements of American F1 drivers have been erased a little bit because nobody was watching back then in America. Um, and it, well, I'm sorry, like in the 50s and the 60s and, you know, Phil Hill and even Andretti, like it wasn't, the, it was never been the dominant and still isn't the dominant uh, code of racing in America. But now, like, you know, the fact, I don't think most people who are in the, of the Drive to Survive era know that someone like Scott Speed was a teammate of Sebastian Vettel, right? An American. That That, that seems like, you know, 3,000 years ago to a lot of people, I think. And to have in this era, Logan Sargent come in, even if he's not going to have the car right away, um, even if maybe Colton Herta was better suited for it, now, although we don't know, there's kind of a, who knows whether it's better to be an Indy car or, or the lower formulas of, of F1. Um, th- it's going to make a connection point to America that I think is really important. It's going to carry the momentum of Drive to Survive in. And one of the points I made when I was kind of going back and forth and is like, I don't think Christian Pulisic, you know, being on Chelsea has has had some huge impact on, on how much uh, Americans watch the Premier League. I don't. And so that's why I didn't think it was going to be some huge thing for Formula One. But the more I think about it, the more it's just a, sort of a cultural touchstone. And and this is going to, this is going to matter because F1 is still growing in America. It's nowhere near what, what soccer is, frankly. Um, it's nowhere, like the fact that, you know, Jessica, you obviously are a soccer player. Like the fact that there's so many people who are just like, oh, I'm a Man City fan. I'm a Tottenham fan. I'm what I'm whatever. Like that F1 hasn't gotten there yet. And I think that once Logan Sargent comes in, people start to understand and start picking drivers, they start picking teams in a different way. That to me gets to be important. That's I think the Pulisic comparison is interesting because both of them are athletes who moved to Europe when they were super young. Yes. And so I wonder how much of a connection. Sargent will make with American fans. Like, it's true, he's from Fort Lauderdale. His family, I think, are 
like b- major American, you know, business owners. Um, but I do, I do wonder about that effect. South Florida are they in crypto? Uh, well, Formula One is certainly, yeah. <laughs> at least they were. I don't, I'm interested to see who's sponsoring the Miami Grand Prix next year, to be honest I, by, with you. <laughs> by the way, I, I like that, uh, Miami is rebranded such that the South Florida businessman joke is no longer what it used to be. And it's now crypto. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, the arena still says FTX. I drive past it every day on my way to work. So good job, everyone down here. But I do. I wonder about that. I mean, you could be right. I'm a little skeptical about it. I think it also had another ripple effect, which makes it um, interesting, which is that Nicholas Latifi, sadly, no longer on the grid. So that will have an impact. So um, Canada, Canada's, they've been halved. Their interest has been halved. Exactly. North America is struggling right now. Empty seats in Montreal. Yeah. (laughs) But um, no, I mean, mostly for the memes, the the goat. Uh, shadow meme. We'll miss that one. But yeah, I don't I don't know. I wonder about how much of an effect it will have if American fans do connect with him or if American fans are just as likely to connect with Max Verstappen or, you know, one of the European drivers or yes. Daniel Ricciardo, even though he's a reserve driver now versus, you know, a guy from Fort Lauderdale that's lived in Europe most of his adult life. Sure. And Messi is significantly more popular than any American soccer player in America, right? Like that's right. there's a sure. proof of concept there. Um, are you saying that an American driver is less impactful for American fans than the ability to joke about Nicholas Latifi? Yes, I am saying yeah. that. <laughs> I think that's a unifying thing for F1. Like, there has to be a, a scapegoat, right? We have to have, like, a punching bag as a fandom on the internet. Scapegoat. Scapegoat. Exactly. I yeah. intentionally scapegoat. Um, scapegoatifi. But <laughs> oh, I don't geez. know. <laughs> Meg, where do you think the Logan Sargent thing is going? And our team, uh, listen, if they, you know, one of the things, McLaren is a great example. Obviously, they're going with Piastri, who's um, mm-hmm. from, who's not American, but Zach Brown knows how to make money. That's what, like, he gave that incredible, there's a really good around, uh, Beyond the Grid episode with him where he basically, he was a driver and he was selling sponsorships to support himself. And they told him, like, hey, man, you're pretty bad at driving, but you can sell sponsorships. <laughs> you should just sell sponsorships. Like, Zach Brown is really good at making money. And you start to wonder when some of these teams, if they need an infusion, and Logan Sargent, comes from a lot of the background that a lot of the pay drivers come from, frankly. And mm-hmm. Spanner's like, is this the end of the pay driver model? No, it's not. It's not. It's a continuation <laughs> of it. Um, but if you can get tens of millions of dollars from American companies, that can bridge the gap if you're getting in another American driver, a different American driver. Yeah. No, I, I'm with you guys. I don't think that Sargent necessarily on his own maybe will move the needle all that much. But this kind of goes with what I was going to bring up for my third uh, pick here, which was just like the U.S. expansion at large. I mean, this year yeah. we saw the first Miami race. We saw them announce the Las Vegas race. Next year we'll have three U.S. Grand Prix, And I think, you know, all of that together is going to bring F1 to many massive stages within the U.S. And I think having Logan Sargent there and having, you know, I mean, one of the first things that people will ask me, like when they're get, starting to get into F1 is like, oh, are there, you know, What's like the America can like, is there an American driver out there? Like what's yeah. the deal? And I think just being able to say like, yeah, it might make certain people at least tune in a little bit earlier. And I think, you know, having all of the promotion for the three races next year, especially Miami and Vegas, I think with all the celebrity that those will attract and all mm-hmm. of the money that those will attract. Um, I think that's going to be a really huge thing going forward. And this year was kind of like the next step post Netflix of all of that. 
I agree. We're in the post Netflix era, even though Netflix continues. So let's do that. Uh, as post social media and post Netflix. What are we doing? Post 2022. We're just. Yep. <laughs> what are we supposed to do? <laughs> we're in a new era. We're in, we're in the era. age we're of the, the bicycle or some bullshit. The, I Mar- the Mario, the Mario Cristobal era. Oh, um, yeah. All right. So uh, let's actually do that, that jumping off point right now for the American expansion. Jessica, where do you see this going? Do you see like huge gains because there's a Las Vegas race now in the second year of the Miami thing? Like you were in Miami. We were, I, we were both there. Like, frankly, it was, it was a weirder vibe than probably so most weird. people think. And I'm, I'm curious where you think this is going as someone who actually spent more time on the grounds than I did because I had to do a recap pod and all that bullshit. Yeah, actually, so I went to Austin this year, too. So it was my first time going to Circuit of the Americas. And I had a blast in Austin. I thought that that race was amazing. And I felt like when we were in Miami, a lot of other reporters and fans were saying, like, this doesn't feel like what a lot of the Formula One races feel like. And I didn't know what that meant until I went to Austin and and felt like I was actually at a race and, like, at an event. Um, It was also, like, just kind of a cool festival vibe I really liked Austin, but I think Vegas is going to be a lot more like Miami than like Austin. And I do wonder, you know, in terms of bringing in sponsorship money and, you know, fans who are going to spend a boatload on grandstand tickets and packages and all of these things, I'm sure it's good for the sport in the long run. You need those people to sell sponsorships. You need lots of people with deep pockets to help a very expensive sport, you know, meet its its cost needs. But from a fan perspective, it does make it more unattainable. Like, I don't know how much tickets for Miami cost next year. I haven't looked. I know they're very expensive. In Las Vegas, I've heard that you have to buy like these multi-thousand dollar hotel packages to get a seat. Um, And so it's it's definitely attracting a different type of fan than some of the bigger races, you know, in Europe and and in Austin. So I I wonder what the trade-off is. I wonder if there's a threshold by which, you know, it's too much and they need to find a balance between races where actual fans can afford, you know, it's still maybe expensive, but it's not a cost prohibitive thing. It's something most fans can save up for and do once a year or once every few years. Um, Or, you know, Formula One needs the money. They need the sponsorships. They need to do a deal with whatever crypto.com for a hundred million dollars to stay relevant. Um, I don't know. I think they need to find that balance. I don't know if three races in the United States is that appealing to people outside of the United States. I don't even know how appealing it is to well, people Vegas, inside the United States. Vegas seems like it's designed for Europeans. It's mm-hmm. Thanksgiving weekend. It's on yeah. at a weird time for Americans. We're not going to travel. It's all it's it's for the lads. It's a I Saturday believe it's night. For the lads. The lads. Yeah, it's for the lads. <laughs> it's for the lads yeah, to fly I, over. I don't know. I think I think part of the appeal of Formula One to some fans in the states is that it's like an international. And mostly European yeah. footprinted sport. And if it's like, oh, there's like three races in the States that makes it less cool. I don't know. Maybe that's just me being like a hater. But I don't think that's true. <laughs> Go back to the soccer comparison. I was thinking about how sick it would be if there were EPL games in New York. I was thinking about that the other week. I was like, why can't we have that? That would be great. I would go. I would I would watch like, I'm a Spurs fan, but I would watch like Man City versus Aston Villa at Giant Stadium. I'd go to that. Do you think as an NFL fan though, there's like so we we've had NFL games in London at Wembley and, and 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 in Germany. Yeah, there's been other games in Europe too. I think they want to go to Spain next year or something like that, or two years. Um, yeah. but do you think if you're like a, a football fan, an NFL fan, American football fan, I should say, in the UK, and suddenly instead of just like one game a season, now there's two, and then in five years there's like four or five, 
does that excite you? Or are you like the, the reason that well, this is cool is because it happens not that often. And so we get to make a big event of it and go. I, I will say we do send the Jaguars quite a bit. So that, right, that doesn't that help. Really, that doesn't help. Uh, has not <laughs> helped. Jags are good now, but they're London's team. Um, I've been to one of those games. And I got to tell you, the passion for people who have nothing to do with anything going on in the game. So I went to a Jets-Dolphins game in 2015. Back on the old WSJ expense account. That was a boondoggle. And uh, <laughs> the, um, like the people in like Vikings jerseys who were just like, hell yeah, the entire time. I'm watching football. <laughs> like there was just, there's just, I don't think that, I actually think there's a number of people in Europe who were just like so into it that they'll, they will do whatever they need to do to just see it live. I felt like there was an exuberance there that I don't see at a when I go to Tampa and see the Bucks play the Falcons. Brian Brian McCarthy likes this. <laughs> Roger Goodell likes it. Roger Goodell used to run NFL Europe. I was in London in November and I was just walking down the street and I saw someone wearing not on a Sunday, not like no NFL team was in town, just someone wearing a Falcons jersey and a Falcons beanie and I was like this is weird. <laughs> too bizarre imagine, for me. Imagine opting into that. It yeah. is weird when you see that. It, I saw a Carlos Zambrano jersey in Cape Town once, so I don't <laughs> think anything's going to beat that for me. But it is very strange when you see that abroad. So I don't know. I think my my point really is just that I think there needs to be a balance for all of the fans. But I think F1 is going to go where the money is, which right now is the United States and especially Vegas and Miami. Our uh, former coworker, Rhino Hanlon, has told me before that the liver one of the most iconic photos in Liverpool's history. It was, was taken in Istanbul when they came back from three down against AC Milan. And in the shot, there's just a random guy in a Chad Pennington jersey in Istanbul <laughs> in 2005. People in Miami <laughs> didn't even wear Chad Pennington jersey. No, no. Wow, um, it's a Jets jersey. But uh, oh. Meg, anything else on this on on American expansion and where you think it's going? Because I really do think if they can get New York. They would do it. I just don't think they're going to get New York. I think they can get like Jersey City, which they don't want to do. Yeah, I I'll be really curious what next steps they have going on. I, I hope that we always keep Circuit of the Americas because, like you said, Jess, I feel like it's just like a more unique atmosphere when it comes to U.S. races than um, you know Miami and and Vegas will be. Um, so I, I hope that one always sticks around. It's kind of like our legacy into into F one, but. Yeah, I mean, New York would be sweet. Um, yeah, I, I really have I have no idea what they're planning next. I think part of the problem with Miami, too, was that they, I think, initially wanted to do it so that the cars were going over the Reichenbacher Causeway, yeah. which would have been, mm. like, really cool and gorgeous, but they couldn't do it for a logistical reason. So they built this track up by Hard Rock, and the track wasn't very fun or exciting. Right. Was, that race right. itself kind of fell flat. Not to mention there were, like, reports of, like, hospitality issues and things like that. So I don't know how big of a success it was for the Miami organizers. Certainly they can, like, make it better. They have a 10-year deal. But um, if they are committed to actually making fun and exciting races like the Circuit of the Americas provides, then I think fans are more open to it. But Vegas is going to be a street circuit. I don't know. It's going to probably be a Monaco-like race. So I don't know how much that (laughs) tantalizes fans to watch it on TV. There, there were people in F1 who I met there who were just, who knew I had spent time in Miami and were like, what, where are we? Like, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> like, this is not. You're like, uh, Fort Stadium. Lauderdale. 
Yeah, they didn't love. They didn't Miami love the Gardens. fake marina. We're at the Miami Gardens. No, it's just like you see photos of Miami, and then all of a sudden, I mean, it's not dissimilar to you know where the the reaction people have when they see the football teams play, where it's like there'll be like the establishing shots of South Beach, and yeah. then it's like actually there's a there's a, a you know twenty four hour sitco right there. That's the only kind of place you can get a drink actually within you know mm-hmm. within three miles and a Planet Fitness. Um, all right, so the the um. Credential pickup was in a Planet Fitness. That's what people yes, talk about. Yes, it was. Talk about the, uh, the, the F1 glamour. This episode is brought to you by Armorall. When you want the best for your car, preparation is everything. That's why teams like Oracle Red Bull Racing use Armorall to prep their team vehicles. From interior cleaning and protectant wipes to car wash and wheel and tire cleaner, Armorall, America's number one trusted auto appearance brand, has what it takes to keep the two-time defending champions looking their best inside and out. And get this, now through May 31st, you can get $5 back when you spend $20 prepping your car like the Oracle Red Bull Racing Team. All you have to do is upload your receipt to Armorall's website after you buy. Visit armorall.com for program details and redemption. Terms apply. Armorall, chosen by champions. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Pondering the Bagel with Tom. Oh, the paradox of the bagel. Tis crunchy yet soft. Tis filling yet has a hole. Tis a vehicle for spreads, but only travels from toaster to plate. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. Um, all right, Jess, what's your, what's your next most important thing? Um, I have two that I'm debating between, but I'll, I'm going to go with Charles Leclerc's DNF at the French Grand Prix because it led to one of the most insane radio messages of the season when he just kind of yelled into his radio. Um, and I think it was also a turning point for him and maybe not just his season, but maybe even his career. Like, I think something inside of him died during that race. He was on. Uh, so this was one of the many pole position uh, races he had. He ended up on pole nine times, only won three races. Um, He ended up retiring in this race after he spun out in the 18th lap, Verstappen won and took a huge lead. Do you guys know how many times Verstappen was on pole? So Leclerc was on a nine times this year. Um, I saw the stat the other day and I literally forgot it. Help me out. He was on pole seven times. So Leclerc (laughs) qualified better than him in two races. And Leclerc only... I don't don't know if they finished like this, but it wasn't... Didn't Verstappen win more races uh, that Leclerc started on pole than Leclerc did? Well, Verstappen won 15 races and Leclerc only won three. And so this, I think, was a major turning point. It was also Leclerc's third retirement um, after leading a race. Spain and Azerbaijan were the first two. So I think it was a major moment for Ferrari where... Everyone realized, you know, the things that we thought at the beginning of the season with the unreliability of the Red Bull cars are not true. They fix their problems. Ferrari is bad at strategy. They are unreliable. And this was just driver error. And it was a mistake that we don't see Max Verstappen make very often, if ever. 
Um, and it was really, I think, a turning point for Max Verstappen and his championship hunt. It was a turning point for Charles Leclerc and his existential dread um, for Ferrari, for, for Ferrari fans, and just a absolutely epic yell that I please put that into the podcast so people can hear it again. <laughs> Erica, please. Uh, are you okay? I cannot put photo. Uh, is it another throttle pedal issue for Charles Leclerc? Now it's zero percent. No! Um, all right, so I had that on my list as well. And reason being is that I felt like that was also the moment that Leclerc broke. And I felt like there had been some sort of coping sort of coping pathways before that, where you're saying, okay, he's handling it well. The team seems to be cohesive. Um, Bonotto, as Meg, we did an emergency pod when, when Bonotto got the sack a couple weeks ago and talked about how he's trying to get rid of the blame culture. It seemed like it was all working. And then you reached a point where, oh, this isn't actually going to get better. Like we're at, things are going to actively get worse. And so the fact that they were handling it well at the beginning of the season doesn't matter, right? Like Red Bull's just going to trounce all over them. So, for me, the biggest thing here is it led to a series of events that ended up having basically resetting the Ferrari project. I mean, I, I don't, mm-hmm. I think Bonotto was actually probably on the right track if he just fixed a few things. I don't know what the Ferrari under, under Big Fred looks like. Um, but I do know that if they, you know, I, again, I, I, in the NFL building, sometimes they say that it takes six months just to start to rehire people, right? So I don't know if Fred's going to bring in his own people. Uh, or if he's just going to say, okay, we're, it's going to do like the Dennis Allen thing where, where they just keep the same staff. And, and I'm not, Bonotto and Sean Payton are very different people. Um, <laughs> but I do think that there's just like a, um, there's a reset button you hit when you have a new team principal. And I think that, that that series of events leading to that is hugely important, not just for 2023, but the next five years, because it means something for Mercedes. It means something for Red Bull. It means something for the rest of, of, of the pack that this is, Ferrari, in my opinion, had their their best chance to win serious uh, title points this year. Um, And I don't think that's going to be the case in the next three, four years. It all just devolved so quickly from that moment. Like, I feel like that scream just like unleashed something in both him and Carlos where like it was not long between that and when they started kind of like calling out their own strategy on the radios and, you know, just fully losing confidence in their team to put them in positions to succeed. And like Charles just looked so dejected by the end of the year that, yeah, I mean, like they had to make a change at at some level. I, yeah, it was, a yeah, the scream definitely heard around the F1 world for sure. (laughs) Boy. Yeah, no, that was on my list too. Um, So we're, we're, we're doubling it up here, but I just, does anyone think Ferrari is going to, do anything next year? Should we should Aww. we be bracing for a pleasant surprise? I hope so. I it would be really fun if they did. Um, I don't I mean, if Red Bull is as solid next year as they were this year, I have a hard time seeing another team like really giving them a push for the title, but it would be really fun if somebody did. Yeah. Jess, any Ferrari predictions? Have they gotten a new head strategist yet? I don't think that (laughs) the problem is necessarily like their car. They can make improvements on the power unit. I mean, the power unit was pretty good. It was just the reliability issues, right? Yeah. 
I think they'll be okay, but I don't know if they'll win a championship next year or Constructors' Cup. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, all right, Meg, what's your number two? Um, well, I gave my number two already, oh, so I'll yeah. give my number three. Um, Let's do it. And that was the new car regulations this year. Um, definitely was not always easy or smooth, which I think you expect in the first year of new regulations, but this was kind of the first or the biggest F1 shift in car regulations in like, I think Adrian Newey said like 40 years or something, which is mm-hmm. very exciting. Lots of changes, front and rear wings, bigger tires. But I think the biggest one was the shift to the ground force effect, which is supposed to allow cars to follow more closely behind one another, more overtaking, which it did. I think Pirelli said that overtaking was up 30% this year over 2021, which I mean, it certainly seemed like I felt like races were more entertaining. You could follow more closely behind. Cars could really track one another through chicanes and on long straights, which I thought was really fun. Um, Definitely also had some downfalls, though, with the early porpoising. I will never forget the image of Lewis, like, having to crawl out of his car at Baku. That Like, it was haunting and terrifying. And that's something that's going to affect cars going forward now that the FIA had to step in and basically, like, change regulations there to make sure that that doesn't happen going forward. So I think overall the rule changes have been a success and I'm excited to see how they adapt to that going forward. But uh, yeah, very interesting year in terms of car development. Surprised, happy with the car development uh, and and the new regulations, disappointed. Where'd where'd you go with it? It seemed like there was a lot more passing in the midfield. And I think like some of the statistics bear that out. And it it didn't seem like it was as much like, you know, lead changes or anything like races in the front part of the race or overtaking the front part of a race, but um, more so like evening out the the middle in those like hot corners. But I think I I don't want to spoil my third topic, but I think really like the cost cap had more to do with the leveling of the playing field than maybe these regulations did. But again, it's like the first year. I don't think all the data is really out yet on like what to expect moving forward. I think obviously Mercedes kind of didn't have the best car earlier in the season and and had a big zero, frankly, for their first version of this car. And I I expect them to be more competitive next year, having learned some lessons with the porpoising especially. But um, it's a starting point, right? Like this is going to be now how the baseline for all the teams moving forward. So I think maybe you'll see more of that in a year or two versus just like this first season where everyone's pretty much guessing on the car design and and how to really meet the requirements for the regulations. Fascinating. Um, All right, I'm going to do my last one. It's whatever, this is how I'm going to phrase it. Whatever the hell happened with Checo Perez at Monaco that made Max Verstappen a ball of rage that is now tumbled into the offseason, tumbled into October and November of the season, and has, I think, that the, the greatest threat to Red Bull is themselves. Because, I, and that's not to say that Red Bull is, some, is about to combust or whatever. Uh, it, it, but it is to say that we're talking about Ferrari and Mercedes, who we still think are probably, like, eight months away, something like that. Like the, the, the book on Mercedes that's coming from Mercedes is that may not figure it out until mid season next year. Ferrari hit the reset button. Red Bull should probably, if you're just looking at the landscape right now, cruise to a constructors championship next year and a driver's championship. The only problem is that the two drivers seem to hate each other. Um, <laughs> weird how that keeps happening with Max. Weird Star. how that keeps happening. What do you mean? So strange. So, what? 
So I don't know where this goes. Daniel Ricardo coming in is huge. I, I think that the fact they brought him in when, and if you just listen to Ricardo's timeline, like it was getting pretty serious with, with Mercedes. It seemed like that was, they were going down that path, he had other discussions. And then Red Bull was like, why don't you come here? And that to me, I think that you can, it's not even a conspiracy. Like you, 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 it's, it's something, it's something they, they do, wouldn't have randomly done that in the second half of the season if they were feeling great about everything. And now it could be one of two things. It could be, they want to have Checo on a short leash and say, okay, this isn't working. You're gone. Or, it's just to say, have him in place and just say, Checo, by the way, like, here's this guy. He gets, mm-hmm. he still takes private jet flights with Max. He got along well with us. Like, we, we miss him. He's fun. He's walking around the paddock in a horse. Like, we love this guy. And it just kind of keeps everybody in line a little bit. So mm-hmm. I think that, that that is something to watch because I really don't think, as much as I say that they, their biggest threat is themselves, they can mishandle this to the point that it becomes a distraction. I think the much more likely option is they really hate each other is they just they just fire check up Perez. Wow, that would be shocking though. I would be shocking, but so would so would the outward dislike of between Verstappen and Checo Perez over the past month of the season. That was That's not shocking. insane to me. <laughs> no, I, I I found it shocking. I was shocked that it spilled over into the public sphere maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I it really felt like Red Bull just like badly misread the situation and like the handle that they had on Checo because everybody knows that Max is their number one driver. Like that's never been a secret, but I feel like Monaco kind of showed Checo like what his ceiling could be. And he just stopped being content being number two, which is fine. I mean, that's human nature, especially with drivers who are this competitive, but it feels like Red Bull just kind of like assumed that he would return to happily being the number two. And that did not happen, which yeah, very interesting. I'm 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 fascinated to see it. Over under 0.5 drives in 2023 at Red Bull for Daniel Ricardo Meg. I'm gonna say over, but that's more because like, you know, if Checo ever gets sick or, you know, something like that happens. Um but I'll I'll say over. I'll go with at least. I'm one gonna drive. take the over. I'm gonna take the over. It just feels like with 25 races, is that how many there are next year? 23, 23, right? it's a lot. I, I know mm-hmm. the China Grand Prix got canceled, so Lo- I don't know load the management? Number. Load I mean, management. I just could see someone getting COVID or the flu or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, Checo has a small child now. According to all the people I work with with small children, they get sick like every three days. So look forward to that, Won't Kevin. Won't be me. Won't be me. <laughs> and I, and it, would, it would be, I think it would be really fun to see Ricardo racing for Red Bull again. But going back to the the drama of it all, um, I enjoyed that during that whole thing happening, Red Bull was doing this like Sky Sports boycott at the same time. <laughs> and they, there was just so much happening with them all at once. And you'd think that after Verstappen had wrapped up the title race, he would be like, cool, chill. Like, I don't really care. I know he was tr- trying to break the record for most wins in a season, but, you know, maybe you let, you let your teammate pass you and you get over the thing that happened months earlier, but maybe not, I guess. And I think it's kind of still a bummer that Perez didn't even finish in second place and he was out of second place by maybe a point, maybe two points to Leclerc. And there's no way to know whether or not, like, the last race would have been raced the same way had he gotten the extra point the week before, right? We don't know that. 
But it does seem like leaving any points on the table because you're mad at your teammate is just such a tremendously bad look for Max. But I am still surprised. It does seem like there's always things like this brewing with Red Bull, but they keep most of it tamped down. And I think, truthfully, most teams have issues with this. I mean, we certainly saw it with Alpine this year, and they Mm -hmm. did not do a good job of keeping it quiet. Um, I was surprised, though, to see it over the radio. That just doesn't seem like something that you let happen when you're running this tight ship and you have this driver who's like a you know racing machine. Seems like something you would maybe want to make sure is dealt with internally, but clearly there were lots of hurt feelings in the process. All right, Jess, your number three. My number three, great, great segue into the Red Bull cost cap drama, budget gate, whatever you want to call it. Um, They went over their 2021 budget. They overspent by 1.6%. They were fined $7 million for it, and they have a 10% reduction in aerodynamic testing for the next 12 months. What was fascinating about all of this was that the FIA did not have a transparent system of, you know, telling the fans and the teams what was going on, who was doing it, how much they were doing it by. There was a blame on an accounting error and a lack of, you know, tax credit, which is hilarious. Mm -hmm. There was, um, oh, we were just spending extra money on our our catering. There was so much happening with this. Um, The bottom line is that the uh, FIA, I guess, is just like, yeah, we'll give you a little slap on the wrist. Like, do-do-do, we don't really, like, not not too much we're going to do in regards to punishment here, which I think has humongous implications going forward. And I also think that Zach Brown's letter calling Red Bull cheaters is something that's going to be (laughs) remembered forever. And I don't think anyone from Team Red Bull is going to let that slide. I think that there's going to be some bad blood with those characters um, for seasons to come because Red Bull was not happy about being called cheaters. So I think it's going to be great the next five, six years when we just find out that Every single team was hiding like new new rear wings in their catering budget. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm just like, oh, yeah. Um, oh, just, I just thought they catering. were chicken just, wings. Just, it was just catering. It was just a catering. Terrible error. joke. We're sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, oh Those wait, I just got my... it. Chicken wings. I just got it. Jess, chicken wings. <laughs> sorry. No, it's all right. Just ignore yeah. it. No, it's good. We're gonna edit that out and just we're gonna edit that out and put, uh, put uh, Leclerc scream in there instead. <laughs> There you go. More appealing for the audience. <laughs> oh my God. Some of my favorite 2022 memes were people just trying to guess what Red Bull was bringing in for catering. Like, you know, prime rib every day. Yeah. Yep. Champagne fountains. Like, just great. I will say, at, just being in the paddock, like, it's a very, very luxurious place. They're giving out, like, oh, yeah. Were they giving out air, airbrush t shirts? Was that what yes, was they were. Yes. And you know what? Spencer and I talked about this a lot on DNF, but Ferrari had a very legit espresso setup. So if yes. you told me Ferrari went over and their cost cap um, spending money on, you know, primo little, coffee beans and, little and tiny cups and, and tiny cups tiny, and, and tiny, t- tables, tiny tables. Yeah. I would have said, yeah, but they need that. That's like, that's an expectation for Ferrari. You can't take that out. But with Red Bull, I'm like, what were they spending this all on? Because they had probably like one of the less bougie looking setups from the outside. I didn't go in, but I don't know, Kevin. I I don't know what they spent all this money on. Uh, I have a friend who went to go do a story at Marinello where Ferrari is. And he had to get there early to do like the coffee setup. They were like, oh, I'm here for coffee. And it's like 30 minutes early. And then like, and then they like 
asked him if he wanted sugar in his coffee and he said no and they were just testing him because of course you wouldn't want sugar yeah, in your right. coffee. Right, I was going to say, they asked him that? That's actually no, foul. I think they were trying to test if he was a fraud <laughs> or not. Right. Oh, God. Um, it reminds me of that fucking yeah. terrible scene in The Da Vinci Code. I, I digress. Anyways, I don't what, know what... What just happened? <laughs> don't worry about it. <laughs> what? No, what scene? It's a scene where Tom Hanks is like, he shows up at um, Ian McKellen, Sir Ian McKellen's house and Ian McKellen's like, what am I going to serve with tea, lemon or sugar? And it's like supposed to be a quiz. Oh, they're just the worst characters on earth. Just cut this all out. I'm sorry. It's the worst scene um, in the worst movie (laughs) based off the worst book from the worst author. I digress. Why did you watch it? (laughs) I had to watch it for a stupid podcast I did with Amin Al Hassan. And Zach Harper. It's called Cinephobe. Anyways, I enjoyed the cost cap drama. I enjoyed Budget Gate. I don't know what we're calling it. I think more team principals and CEOs should call more other team principals and CEOs cheaters. Agree. Um, and I think mm-hmm. in general, it's good for the sport to have something to argue about late in the season when we already have a champion. Let's just argue about something that happened a year ago that we didn't even know about. And now we can be retroactively pissed about it. Let's turn everybody into Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban. Just just (laughs) randomly accusing people (laughs) of cheating. Um, We will leave it at that. Uh, We'll be back in the new year, the royal we. Um, I don't think I'll be back for a little bit. Megan will uh, will guide you until I'm back. Um, I'm going to be dealing with... uh, I I wish we had a cost cap. I wish we had a cost (laughs) cap on what I'm about to go through in the next couple of weeks. Um, But yeah, uh, it'll it'll probably be on paternity leave for for a little while. And then Meg will handle it. We'll have really cool preview episodes and and all that stuff in the off season. And we will see you then. Jessica, thanks for coming on, pal. Thanks for having me. Sorry, I forgot that I've already been on this podcast twice. But now that you (laughs) jog my memory, yeah, obviously. We did one from the back of a. I know. I remember that one. I was going to say, like, actually sitting down at my desk on a microphone. This is the first time I've done that with this podcast. Because I think the other one was on, like, Twitter spaces. Yes, Yes, exactly. On a Zoom. That makes it official when you're a podcaster. That's right. Um, Megan, see you soon, pal. And Erica Cervantes, thank you for production help. We'll see you soon. This has been the Ringer F1 show on the Ringer Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.